Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Deeply of your presence and of your spirit, deeply of what you purchased for us, which is life and life more abundantly. So God, I thank you that people would experience that here, abundant life that is only found in you, not in our ability to produce, not in who we are, but rather in our submission and surrender to you. So today, may you take us into those deeper waters of submission and surrender and form us in your image. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. So if you've been here any of the past few weeks, um, which I hope you have, because everybody comes here every single week and never misses a week. Um, It's a little joke. Some people like to sleep. There's nothing wrong with it. Other dudes like football. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Unless it's an idol. Anyway, um, but I remember what we've been talking about is James. And specifically in James, what I've loved is really kind of breaking down why this is my favorite book and going deep into what this book is. You know, if fixate, if you were to come to me and say, man, like outside of the gospels and really studying Jesus' life, what is a book that summarizes who we are? I would tell you it would be the book of James. Why? Because it's formation and lifestyle minded, meaning that the whole goal of it is to be so hyper-practical that there is no gray, there is black and white. So last week we talked about how faith without works is dead. And this week, what we're going to be talking about is our mouths and what we speak, which once again, hyper practical, like sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, okay, what does this mean to me in James? There's no like gray in that because he really does an incredible job of breaking down why it is important to live out practically the message and lifestyle of Jesus. Now, I say this every week, but I just want to make sure, like I said, I know everybody's here every week, but uh, to break down why James is important, you know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, grew up a doubter and a skeptic. What do we see in that lifestyle is ultimately James was not a follower of Jesus until post-resurrection. Why? Because if your sibling resurrected himself from the dead, chances are I would believe and maybe want to be a little closer to them myself. So not only does James kind of take this stance of I'm an unbeliever, but then becoming a believer, but he really takes ownership of his faith in helping establish the church in Jerusalem. Now, many of us don't know this, but the church in Jerusalem, if you research kind of its origins in the early parts of of Acts really is birthed out of Peter giving these fiery messages and the Holy Spirit descending in literal fire. And it's like crazy all the stuff that happens. And what we see is that the church in Jerusalem really is the first church that studies, practices, and lives out the ways of Jesus. See, the, the church wasn't actually called Christian. This was before its time. Christian, that term, comes from the church later on in Antioch. What we see is that this church is a is thousands and thousands of people who have dedicated their lives to the teachings of Jesus and of the apostles. So James rises to a central figure and as the apostles really are sent out into different areas to establish new works, what we see is James becomes the central leader in the church of Jerusalem.
Jerusalem. And why I tell James's story is because many of us believe, okay, Jesus' brother, the first pastor, the guy who's seen explosive growth and the Holy Spirit literally descending, that it must go from glory to glory, better to better, prosperity gospel to name it and claim it, God. And then all of a sudden, that's not the trajectory. And I think we've been kind of duped into this philosophy that following God gets easier and easier and more blessings and more blessings. But that's where the fracture happens in life because many of us who've walked through pain, loss, disappointment, or unmet expectation, we wonder how a good God could allow bad. But it's not how a good God can allow bad. It's rather how a good God still loves a fallen world and seeks to redeem it through his creation. So what do we see about James? James has incredible, awesome experiences leading, but then it kind of crescendos and it starts dropping off in terms of famine breaks out in Jerusalem. So bad that they have to write letters to the other churches to take up offerings in order to feed the people who are even coming. Then persecution breaks out, and it's not just light persecution. It's persecution that culminates with James's ultimate martyrdom. That he would become somebody murdered for his faith in Jesus. So the reason I tell James this story, the reason we spend so much time in it, is because the resiliency of this man to lead. The resiliency of this man to stay faithful. The resiliency of this man to profess faith, but then live it in the face of hunger, persecution, death. I'd say that's a good example for all of us to study and follow. So with that, this week, we're going to be focusing on James chapter 3, 1 through verse 13. So I'm going to jump in and read it right now. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, he will incur stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body as well. Now, if we put the bit into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they're also still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. I love that disposition that he really introduces here that it is either a fire of hell that burns or a fire that ignites our life unto purpose. You know, if you remember last week when we were breaking down faith and works, if you remember the first reference that was given in James 2, it talks about the demons profess who God is and they shudder on the belief of who he is. But the distinction between demons and men is ultimately not just the profession of faith, but if the works of faith are present. Now, I find this one interesting because he adds a nuanced layer within this is that you can have a tongue of hell while thinking you are living for heaven. It's an interesting aspect to really say out loud, like, oh, wait a second. uh, We are professing. James isn't writing this to unsaved, unchristian believers. He's not writing this to people who aren't those in the faith. He's literally writing these to people in his church. And you know what he's saying? Hey, guess what? You can have a tongue of hell 
Let's continue to read. Verse 7, for every species of beast and of bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce freshness. You know, today I'm titling this uh, sermon, Tripped Breakers and Corroded Power Lines. Tripped breakers and corroded power lines. Many of you guys are like, wow, that was kind of a a quick turn there. Don't worry, we're going somewhere, I promise. But if you think about it, if you've lived in a house long enough, you know that when power surges happen, negative power surges, the breakers shut off. What happens when a breaker shuts off is the power is no longer transmitted. As a safety valve to dysfunction, it turns itself off so that it can no longer surge the line and cause anything to happen. You know, when you think about it like this, I want to introduce a new thought that we know that, okay, the the tongue is a fire. We know that the tongue is a rudder. But could I also tell you that the tongue is a breaker to the faith and flow of the spirit in your life? That if negatively spoken over and over and over, you trip the power of the Holy Spirit to work through you. And then you may wonder one day why you don't sense his nearness. That so often what we do is we speak negatively and wonder why our lives aren't positive. And so I challenge you today that to reset the breakers of what you speak. To assess the corrosion that maybe has taken place by, yes, a belief in God, but a profession of the fires of hell. You know, a few months ago... Um, our church in the summertime, if you were here, give me a holler if you were here in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> we have three services here today, so I know there's a lot of people who maybe weren't here in the summer because it's hot. Uh, but this building, what we love about this building is the fact that it is hot. Uh, and, and, and what I mean by that is literally uh, there was a few weekends in the summer where, ha- where the AC would go down because it was overworking itself. And so one Sunday we only had half the AC unit. And so it was 91. There's not enough appreciation for the fact we did church in here in 91 degrees. Can I get a shallalujah? <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I preached that day, and I was like, God, am I going to go home to meet you? <laughs> like, this is what it feels like to ride in a fiery chariot. Um, Elijah joke, I thought it was funny, who cares? Anyway, uh, but I remember I was like, I, I, I had PTSD from the summertime in which what I would do every single week is I would look, I got the app for our thermostat. And so, like, some of y'all check social media and check all that stuff. I'd be checking our AC levels, all, like, four times a day. Like, ooh, she's crispy today, 78. It's like, oh, we got demonic activity. It's 86. <laughs> and, and I remember, I'm, like, thinking to myself, I'm like, man, this is, like, this is, we, we need some help here. Like, you know, wow, that's really, that was, the bass was hitting there. <laughs> Somebody was going by popping. <gasps> But I remember, I remember one day I roll over, I th- we're through the heat of the summer, it's like a month and a half ago, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, 
I don't know why, but I roll over on a Saturday morning. I pull up the app. I hadn't been looking at it. I pull it up. I hit open. And guess what? It's 88 in here on a Saturday morning. Not midday. If you don't track the heat, you know it gets hot throughout the day. It was Saturday morning, 88. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, no. So what do I do? I come here and I I consider myself decently handy. I'd flipped a few houses in Michigan with with my dad. And so I ultimately like kind of had a few tricks where I'm like, okay, I've switched out all the filters. I'm resetting all the breakers. You know, I'm checking things out, like trying to see if the pipes are iced up, if they need a little break. And then ultimately like nothing I'm doing is, is accomplishing anything. And it's getting warmer. I've been here about an hour and a half. And I remember I think to myself, I'm like, I got to call the AC guy. So I call him and I like really got to grind his gears to get out here on a weekend. He comes out on the weekend and when he gets here, they start kind of tearing through everything. And I'm with them and we're trying to kind of figure out what's going on. And so once again, at this point, it is now 5 p.m. If you're doing any math, you know, I got here at nine. This is now five. It's a Saturday. I'm here all day Sunday. Anyway, I just needed to say it so I get a little sympathy, but... It's now 5 p.m. From 5 to 7, we cannot figure it out to the point where we're in the basement going down the breaker board. And he's testing the voltage because nothing's wrong with the unit, but the unit won't turn on. Finally, he looks at me and he says, you know what? I'm measuring your voltage and you're not getting enough power coming into the building. And I looked at him and I said, how's that even possible? That a building that's always had power, an AC unit that's always worked, all of a sudden just doesn't have enough And he looks at me and he goes, I don't know, you're going to need to call your power company and tell them you're having problems with one of the legs of power or the power coming into the building. And immediately I'm like, well, that sounds foreign to me, but what do I do? It's now 730. I call the power company. The power company calls, says, hey, we'll be out there. There's no outages. We'll be out there quick, which kudos to our power company. They was here in like 45 minutes, which I was like, did not expect that. They get here. He starts running through all throughout our church, trying to figure out where the power's at. And he walks outside. He says, how old's your building? Says she old. <laughs> she real old. Oh, but I'm like the back of the sanctuary is like over a hundred years old, and the front, this it, where we're sitting, was an expansion that was built um, in the 1930s. And he said, "Okay, I need to go outside and look at your wires because I think some of your wires maybe just became corroded over time." So what he does, takes a flashlight, starts going on the wires right outside of our building up and down until he gets over to the transformer and he gets, comes down and he says, yeah, all your, your wires are so old, they become corroded where they don't carry the current they're supposed to carry because there's corrosion that's take, taken place in the line. So what happens? Literally, I kid you not, I felt terrible because I love all our neighbors. We know a bunch of our neighbors here. Um, Literally turns off the power to our entire block, cuts out the old wire, rehangs up new wire that's not corrosive, turns on the power, AC's back on, Sunday morning, 79 degrees. Hallelujah. But I tell you that story, and I named this sermon, Tripped Breakers and Corroded Power Lines. Because this really, today, if I want to introduce a new metaphoric term to use that he didn't use, is this is what James 3 is talking about. How over time, the words we say can corrode the power we carry. The breaker of our mouth shutting off the power we possess to speak things into existence. Today, I want to talk to you about how to keep the power on and your lines of communication from corroding and not transmitting the current of the spirit 
into this world anymore. See, this is an incredible uh, passage of scripture because if you know anything about James, he wants to make sure that there is no like delineation. There's no gray. He really addresses this so pointed and frank. And the invitation to you today is this, is do you believe that his words are important for you to emulate? Because at the end of the day, that's what we come up against is, is it really worth the cost of trying to change? Is it really worth the cost of believing what he said is true and then changing our character and behavioral patterns to what has been written? I say this to you today. It is worth the cost. So with that, I want to talk about three tips on cleaning corrosion and resetting the breakers of the way you speak. Three tips today on how we reset the breakers and we clear out corrosion. The first thing is this. A tongue that lacks control is a life that lacks control. The words we speak are not a product of spiritual maturity as much as it is the evidence you are spiritually mature. Winning the battle of the words you speak directly influences all the battles you are fighting and will fight. Don't be mad there isn't any power present in your life if you have allowed the main avenue of power transfer to become corroded. A life in the light or in the darkness just comes down to how often you will speak the light and how often you will speak the darkness. You know, I want to say this to you. Just because you have the right of free speech doesn't mean you have the right of free speech. And what's sad today is that we as Christians, we've allowed kind of this this marriage of human rights into kingdom rights. And I'm not saying human rights are not absolutely um, something that we should have. But what I am saying is that just because we have the right to speak whatever we want doesn't mean that we should speak whatever we want. And, and today, I challenge a lot of us in this room to really assess our lordship as it pertains to what we speak. Why? Because I believe this true lordship to me is, is what I will not allow myself to say and do based on the situation, even though I feel I have every right to say and do it. See, a lot of us, we profess lordship, and the, what lordship does is it confronts our humanness, our secularism. Our flesh, and it says, will you submit this to my way of thinking, reasoning, and or should I just say speaking? And see, a lot of us, what we do is we've been conditioned in our society to say, okay, but if I go through something difficult, if something happens, if this goes on, then I can immediately just spout it off. And I want to say this to you. If that is how you live, there will come a point. There will come a point in your life where all you're used to speaking is negative. All you're used to doing is processing pain that happened eight, ten years ago. And I'm not saying you shouldn't process pain, but that pain shouldn't repurpose who you are. And as sad as it is, what we do is we go through things difficult and we don't realize why don't we go get past it is because we don't know how to verbalize it to get past it. We don't know how to communicate. Okay, yes, I went through this difficulty, but that difficulty is not who I am. I went through this defeat, but that defeat is not who I am. How I speak about the things I've went through hold the keys to how I get through it. How are you getting through it? Because some of us right now, we feel defeated. We feel deflated. We feel uncertain. We feel anxious. But if we really assessed it, we just speak all those things and then we live in that reality. You 
You know, what you have to understand is God works from the center of who we are outward. And a lot of us, we think that the words are edges. And and God doesn't work from the edges inward. He works from the center outward. And we, a lot of the times, think that these words and these things that we say, or these things that we say over ourselves, or these things that we believe or, or speak into existence over and over by just a repetitive nature of speaking them, we don't realize that our core is being changed. You know, it doesn't, the the Bible is, it's no coincidence the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Why? Because it's out of your abundance inside. And some of us, if we really start to assess, we might find that our abundance speaking is not things we're proud of. But that's okay because believe it or not, the Holy Spirit is like that electrician. That when we invite him in, comes up and shows up and says, that's the corroded wire and let's take that out. Let's take that out through the renewing of our mind. Let's take that out through the accountability of Scripture and those around us to say, I will not speak this way anymore. I will not live this way anymore. Some of us are mad about the ship we're sailing on and God wants us to assess the direction of the rudder we have allowed to flow out of our mouths. I'm a big audiobooks guy, and um, when, I, when I drive, typically I only read um, physical books, not on my phone. Um, I try to make sure that, but when I drive, I kind of allow myself to splurge and get an audiobook that's like nonfiction or a topic that I like. Well, one audiobook I really recently listened to as me and my wife were traveling up the Oregon coast in the summertime was this book called The Wager. Now, it's a tale of shipwreck and of mutiny in the 1800s in which four English ships go out. And as they go out, they try to sail around the Cape Horn, and all of them pretty much get shipwrecked. 600 men go out, and only 40 men come back. Now, what's interesting about the story is they shipwreck and live on an island for almost a year. But what's wild about it is they shipwrecked... But they had, the ship actually ran aground on a dry reef, and so it was there. And what they decided to do, I kid you not, is they decided to take what had been shipwrecked and rebuild a new ship in hopes to sail it home. Now, the journey they came down on, their gloriously immaculate, insane ship couldn't survive. How, in reality, do you think you can rebuild just a ship out of parts with no tools and sail it back. But that's the beauty of the story because that's what they did. Sailing into the harbor, people couldn't even picture what the ship was and the men looked like skeletons, but they survived. Why? Because even though they had lost, been defeated, been broken, they weren't going to stay in that. They were going to rebuild the fragments, rebuild with the broken, rebuild through the storms and try to keep going. And that's the invitation to us through our words today. Some of us, the only words we speak is because of the storms we face, the battles, the the ships that we've ran aground, the rudder that doesn't feel like it, it exists. And so we speak these things not realizing that the power we serve and the person that we profess whose name is Jesus is ultimately to rebuild from the wreckage and trust he can lead us in a direction back to life. My second thought today is this. It will always be your choice what fire comes forth from your words. The fires of heaven or the fires of hell. 
If your words are only critical, destructive, full of gossip, slander, complaints, worry, or divisive, it is your job to tame the tongue before the fire destroys the good work placed inside of you and the good news you are meant to live in. Some of us want more fire from God, but our mouths destroy anything good he ever tries to give us. I mean, how many, God, I want more of you. God, I want more. Man, my life sucks. My life's terrible. I'm never going to find anybody. This career's never going to work out. I never, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I'm never going to make anybody. I'm never going to find that. I'm never going to get what I, I'm never going to be happy. And it's like, dude, like God wants to give you good things, but he puts them in your presence and the fires of hell just can destroy them. And I say this to you today because I think for a lot of us, we don't understand when James introduces this thought in James 3, 5, and 6, I guarantee it's a profound moment. Like, hey, you either have the fire of heaven or the fire of hell coming out of your mouth. Which one is it? Let's read it again because he literally says it. James 3, 5, and 6. So also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. See how a great forest is set aflame by a small fire. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of your life. And it can be set on fire by hell. Think about that. Your tongue sets on fire the course of your life. You are, I'm going to be honest with you. You know what my biggest pet peeve is right now among churches and pastors is, is there's a competing um, narrative to be clickbaity. Meaning, okay, let's point, post our 30-second reels that are snippets that are kind of out of context, but hopefully we can get the most interaction on. And typically they're actually destructive in nature, speaking fires of division and, and destruction and a narrative of how uh, dark the world is and all of this. And it's like, dude, uh, when you come here, the, f- the framework that I build our sermons off of is how do I ignite fires in people? Not how do I get mad at fires that are going on outside in the darkness? No, I, like, I'm sorry. That's just not who we're going to be. I'm not going to be mad at a fallen world for acting fallen. I'm not going to be mad at darkness for darkness being dark. What I am going to do is I'm going to take the opportunity to be the light that I'm called to be. I'm going to take the opportunity to ignite the flame in the hearts of others so that the darkness can be changed. And what's sad today is all we want to do is speak the fires of hell over the church a lot of the times where it's like, oh, man, the world's terrible. Let's hunker down. Man, we got to vote. We got to do we gotta, everything. Man, we gotta, I tell you, the president is it's like, oh, my gosh, believe it or not. Guess what? We are born into a fallen world. We serve a resurrected king. Which one are we going to talk about? You know, I, I want to tell a story, and I think um, part of my journey as, as a pastor and as a communicator, um, I think, is how we process pain, how we process loss, how we process things that didn't go the way we want. And I will be the first to admit that I have plenty of those stories, and I want to make sure that, um, you know, we bear those things together so we learn how to deal with them in a healthy way. And, uh, a few years ago, and by a few years, this is probably nine or ten years ago, which I know the Dockums are here from Michigan, which are some of our good friends. Can we give it up for them? They're actually from my hometown, from my home church. Um, they're from my hometown, home church. How long have I known you, Linda? 
forever. <laughs> I was going to say I moved to Michigan when I was 10. I think I met you soon after. Yeah. So um, they're in town just hanging out, which I would be too if I lived in Michigan, but I don't anymore. <laughs> but right around eight or nine years ago, me and a couple of my friends, we had a community house and we started a college ministry called Thirsty Thursdays. <laughs> thought people would like that way more. Oh, yeah, it was called Thirsty Thursdays. It was lit. Not like that, but you know what I mean. Uh, but uh, there was a guy in our church who was really, um, who just really loved helping people who were down on their luck. And this particular person actually reached out to a man who came into his business that was asking for food and money. And he looked at him and he said, hey, actually, I'll give you a job. And the guy goes, well, I, I don't know if I want a job. He's like, well, I can help you get on your feet and I have a rental house. If you work for me, I'll give you a place to stay, but you're going to have to come to church. So this guy comes to church. His name was Sean. And Brad starts bringing Sean. I meet Sean. Like I said, this is nine, eight or nine years ago. I meet Sean and me and Sean instantly become friends because he's a rough dude. And what I actually learn about Sean's story is Sean actually had just gotten out of prison. The reason he was in prison is because he was involved in a high-speed chase in which he'd hit a telephone pole at over 100 miles an hour. And when he hit that pole, he broke over 30 bones in his body. Immediately taken to the hospital in which he had to do physical therapy and was there forever. And then ultimately, because of the high-speed chase, spent time in prison. And when he'd gotten out, he was a few years older than me, and which I think he was 25 and I was maybe 23. And I remember meeting him, and he was very skeptical about faith, very skeptical, but knew if he wanted to keep his job at his place to stay, he had to come to church. Well, over time, Sean starts coming to Thursdays. He starts cooking at Thirsty Thursdays, starts really being a, a central figure in our community. We baptize him. He gets saved. and It's just an incredible story of conversion and God's redemptive qualities and power, but there was a hiccup. And the hiccup was this, is after he'd got on his feet, a lot of his old crowd that he ran with had actually found out where he worked and one day showed up at that place and robbed the store while he was working. In his place of the store being robbed, it hit him at a time in which he had lost his medical care coverage and ultimately the pain meds that he had used in order to, to function after that horrific accident. Now his friends have stolen from his job and he is living in pain because he doesn't have any meds to the point that he commits suicide. Committing suicide, he writes me a letter and I read that letter and I'll never forget this. I go to his funeral. Me and Brad were probably the only ones there outside of his family. We go to this funeral. And we're sitting in the back of the room. And as the funeral goes on, the entire narrative of the funeral is we knew Sean wasn't really going to make it that long anyway. We knew he was kind of a deadbeat. We knew he made dumb decisions. We knew at some point he probably was going to die young because he lived fast. We knew that... This is just who he is, and, you know, let's celebrate his life. But at the same time, we all knew this was coming. I'm sitting there, and I've known Sean for a year, and the Sean they're speaking about is not the Sean that I know. I know a different Sean. So what happens is, is they sit down and they say, hey, we're going to open up the floor for people to incur, for people to say anything or a memory about Sean. So I am the first one out of my seat onto that stage. And I look at everybody in the crowd and I say, hey, I know the Sean you knew, but that's not the Sean I knew. See, the Sean I knew was a good man who had faith in Jesus and was baptized, 
who ultimately loved our community and loved our church and helped support our college ministry and was so fun to be around. And even to this day, I have a tattoo that symbolizes who Sean on my thigh. But I remember speaking that and walking off the stage and almost everybody who was in the crowd came up to me and said, thank you so much for the words that you spoke because that's something none of us had ever known about him. And I tell you that story because there was two fires in that room, one that destroyed his memory and one that immortalized his memory. And how many of us, what we do is we know the easy fire to speak, which is one that destroys, divides, one that slanders, gossips, ones that speak down to or negatively about, ones that try to tarnish other people, not realizing that the call of your life is if your tongue will ignite hearts. You know how rare it is to find somebody whose tongue will ignite the hearts of those around them? That drink so deeply from the word of God, the spirit of God, and the nearness of God, that their tongue literally is an igniting element to those who are around them. The choice for you today is if your tongue is going to destroy what's in front of you or ignite what's in front of you. My last point is this. What is said about you is usually what people have heard said through you. I challenge you right now to take inventory of how often your words are blessing and how often your words are cursing. Speaking the truth doesn't give you a free pass on transmitting words of death. Corrosion slowly takes the power away until one day you just don't have none. There is no coincidence to man's need for fresh water for survival, both physically and spiritually. Don't let your spring become so polluted. No one values what you say anymore. I'm convinced that the enemy's greatest attack on the Christian faith today is pollution. Pollution of politics, greed, sexual impurity, scandal, and power abuse. A pollution that makes the church indistinguishable from the world we live in. What would it be like to be a place of pure water? What a challenge we've all been invited to as being a part of this community. You know, when I was making this sermon, I was thinking specifically about um, this passage in John 7, 37 and 38. In it, it says this. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. This last part is what I was thinking about. For he who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. See, a lot of us, we've came to God. Come to me and I'll satisfy your thirst. How many of us have came to God, had our thirst satisfied, And then from our innermost being, that living water has flowed. Because in all honesty, as sad as it is to say today, that a lot of the times we want to come to God, have our thirst quenched, but not have our speaking changed. Not have our hearts changed to where the overflow is streams of living water. You know, you can tell polluted water the moment you taste it. Why? Because your body was made for fresh water. I say this today because as as I take inventory, I know I said this in the first, but I have a joke with my wife about my mouth. 
I'm allowed to say whatever I want when it comes to golf, Green Bay and Notre Dame games, and traffic. (laughs) Some people think I'm not serious. I'm absolutely serious. But I was challenged this week to take ownership of my words in golf when my teams are doing terrible, which is this year, all of them. And when traffic is terrible and people cut me off and Arizona people are reckless. <laughs> what is it you should take inventory and ownership of your mouth today? Is it the person that you're mad at that all you can do is speak negatively, redundantly about? Is it the people or the situations that you don't agree with that are being trumpeted or celebrated? Is it a political narrative? Is it whatever it is, can you take ownership today of maybe parts of your spring that have became polluted? Because as sad as it is, what you don't realize about pollution, polluted springs, is nobody wants to drink from them. And you were created to get around people and ignite their heart by the words you speak and satisfy their soul by the words that you speak. Don't settle for being polluted and sacrifice who you were created to be. The challenge of today is to not let the breakers go off, to not let the lines become corroded so the current can flow. Stand to your feet. We have a practice here the last few weeks, and I really feel challenged on this, too, that we're going to be reciting. My goal is is to create kind of um, periods of time where we recite historical prayers over our lives just that lead through seasons. And for the last month or so, we've just been reciting the Lord's Prayer together um, before we go back into worship. And so I want to invite us all into that space. But. For even right now, those who feel extremely challenged about the words they say, this is a hyper-practical thing, is when you're feeling the propensity to speak negative, destructive, or hell's flames on what's around you, to take a breath and just recite this prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer is the command of Jesus in what to pray. So when we pray like Jesus... And it gets on the inside. What you might find is it's easier to live like Jesus as well. So with that, as we go into worship, let's all pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 